we've all been there or we've all observed. You know, you get home, maybe this was you as a teenager, you open up this refrigerator and it's filled with an abundant amount of food and the kid says, there's nothing to eat in this home. Boom! And slams the door, right? It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> and dad stands to carve the roast turkey. And you hand the kid this beautiful piece of white meat and goes, I hate turkey. Such is Ishmael. Perhaps you've been that kid. Perhaps you parented that kid. No matter what, there are great realities today in this text. But I think we all need to step into Ishmael's shoes for a minute. Because we all talk about Isaac. We all know the story of Isaac. But let's look at Ishmael. Because what we're going to see today is God's promise, God's intervention, and God's purpose and presence in Ishmael's life. I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Genesis 21, for we see the hope for the dysfunctional family. And before you point your fingers at Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael, let's, let's look at ourselves, all right? For we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, right? And uh, there's no perfect parents out there, and there's no perfect child out there. We're in, this, we're in this series we've called Genesis, a call to faith, focusing on Abraham since January. We're almost done with Abraham, if you can believe it. Well done, people. You know, we're, still, we're still hanging in there. We're winding it down over the next few weeks. And what we've seen in the last few weeks is we've all remembered that God has made this promise to Abraham and Sarah that an offspring would come through them, yet they didn't have a child. So what did they do in chapter 16? They brought in Hagar. And so that Abraham could have a child through Hagar. And although this would not have been unusual in the culture, it was never God's design, ever. And what the result was an emotional tri uh, triangle. And though every act of sin is forgivable, not all acts of sin are erasable. And so Abraham was pulled between a love for his wife Sarah and a love for his son Ishmael. And this fractured family was plunged into a web of conflicting loyalties and hidden resentment as Isaac has now come into the picture that we saw last week. And the person that's caught in the middle is 14-year-old Ishmael, the son born to Abraham through Hagar. So we're going to look at this story through his eyes. And Ishmael's troubled life, there's four strikes against him, really. You know, in baseball, you only get three. Well, Ishmael's got four, you know. First, you have the challenge of his temperament. If you look back in chapter 16, God told Abraham that this would be kind of a troubled boy. Verse 12 of chapter 16, he'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. All of us knows someone or even yourself, what it is for our, our passions, our impulses, our orientations to pull us in one direction when God's calling us to go in another, right? But the prophecy about Ishmael reminds us that some people struggle 
with those orientations, struggle with those passions and impulses, and they're rooted in their temperament more than those compliant kids out there. Ishmael was a wild donkey of a man. We would call him a wild at heart guy. This is the kid that jumped onto the roof and would jump off the roof of the house. All right? He's kind of crazy. That was not said of Isaac. There really aren't that many chapters devoted to Isaac in the Bible. When we get to Isaac, that's going to be a real short series. Because Isaac, although important, and he's one of the patriarchs of the faith, he's a, he's a calm guy, very gentle, and, you know, but, but not so with Ishmael. There's a conflict that always seems to be raging in him. Ishmael-type people feel the weight of the world they see the newscasts, and they, they are really struggling with them. They find themselves being torn apart. He always felt that people were against him. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. His default position was suspicion and slow to trust. You see, some people have it harder than others in their personal lives and maybe in life itself due to no fault of their own. And remembering that will help us, especially in the kingdom, to have compassion on such people. You don't know the intensity of your brother or sister's struggle. You may say, why don't they just get over it? Why don't they just deal with it? But if you face the intensity of their struggle that they experience, you might not find it so easy either. That's the first thing, is his intensity of passion. Second is the intensity the tension that's in his family just because he is. All right, verse 8. And Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day when Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Try to put yourself in the shoes of this 14-year-old. Ishmael's father loves him, but Abraham, his father, does not love him. His mother, he loves Sarah. And Sarah is not Ishmael's mother, but she's in charge of him. Because she's property, he's property. And Hagar is Ishmael's birth mother. And Hagar loves Ishmael, but she's in no position whatsoever to care for him, being a slave herself. So Ishmael grows up in on this home where there is constant tension. And this unhappy world of resentments is the only life that he's ever known. So as Ishmael grows up, he hears about God and the promises of God. And that the, there be a great nation coming from Abraham. And so who does 12-year-old Ishmael think that's going to be? It's going to be him, right? Probably. And then one day comes when all of a sudden it's discovered that 99, 100-year-old dad is going to be the father of a son through Sarah. This is not good news for young Ishmael. And everyone's laughing except him. So for the next two years, till he's weaned when this party is thrown, can you imagine, go back to your 15, 16, 17-year-old self, dear friends, and imagine. All he ever hears is, Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. All the time, 
Isaac. Some of you know what that's like. You have an incredibly gifted sister. She's beautiful. She got all the brains and all the looks, and then there's you. You got that brother. He's the athlete, 4.0, Naval Academy. Good for you. Favoritism is a thinly disguised, or perhaps not even disguised at all in your family. Someone else had the blessing, and then there was you. And Ishmael put it up for a few years. He did okay until the weaning party. Intention simmered. And Sarah catches him mockingly laugh. It's a different word than sheer laughter. It's a mocking laugh. It's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, right. This shrimp of a kid. And she saw what was happening. And she says, to, in verse 10, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. I'm sure that Ishmael said, Dad's in my corner. But imagine Ishmael's astonishment when the next day Abraham approaches him with a loaf of bread and a skin of water and says, son, you have to go. The family's torn apart just because Ishmael's in it. And I'm sure he's wondering, how can God love me if he blesses my brother and sends me out away from my father? The God of my father believed that my father believes in certainly doesn't seem to care about me. The third strike is the questions about his existence. When she says, cast out this slave woman with her son, for he shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Put yourself in Ishmael's shoes. He's the focal point of the, all the trouble. Everything that's wrong is wrong because he's here. And I speculate here. I imagine he thought to himself at this time, the world would be a better place if I had I'd never been born. I was a mistake. I wasn't supposed to be here. What do you say to that boy or girl whose birth is the result of a rape? Or whose birth is the result of an affair? Or whose birth is the result of a fornicating relationship with no commitment between mom and dad, really. What do you say to them? See, these are real questions, and when you put together the challenges of his temperament and the tensions and his existence, you can see that the result would be a messed up teen, right? And not only that, you can imagine that he's struggling with the providence, because what does he get? A loaf of bread and a skin of water? Verse 14, and he's sent away. That's a pretty striking thing from Abraham, considering Abraham's rich. He gives him a, a, a loaf of bread. He had camis and donkeys and many servants, and yet he's sending them out into the desert, which in, in our day is like sending him out in the middle of the night to East Cleveland. It's a dangerous place. And he certainly could have given him some security. But they send him out alone. Does Hagar and Ishmael. 
Now, it's important to note here, Genesis tells us in verse 11 that this was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He took no pleasure in this. He didn't want to send him away. But now God has made Abraham the man of faith that all along he's been looking for. Abraham is responding in faith. Took him 100 years. But he's trusting God's word. Even in this, he doesn't understand, but he's going to do what God asked him to do. He didn't want to send him away. So it's reasonable to assume that Abraham's natural instinct would have been to send Ishmael away with abundance of food and servants for protection. But God says, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells him to. So I imagine they go down, okay, honey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him away. What should I give him? And she says, nothing. He has no inheritance. And so he's heard God's voice, okay, I'm going to do what Sarah says. And he doesn't give him anything. Because God has a message for Hagar and Ishmael. You can't miss this. And that message is one of unlimited supply in God. So his strength gives out. The boy is lying under the bush, and this is where the story gets really, really good. And what we see in this is God's promise, God's intervention, and God's purpose. That's the scene. Verse 18, God's promise. Lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. He's sitting under a, a bush out in the desert somewhere. Their loaf of bread is gone. Their skin of water is gone. And they know they're going to die. But who do they cry out to? God. And so the angel says to Hagar, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Well, that's great. You're going to make him a great nation, but we're a little thirsty and hungry right now. You know, this is great. And the promises of God may sound remote when you feel desperate. The starting point of hope, however, is always to believe in God's promise to you in Jesus Christ. Every blessing is yours in Jesus Christ. The promise is that God is for you in Jesus Christ. And that if Christ is yours, Christ is all you need. Right now, you may not be able to see how God is going to see you through the situation that you find yourself in this morning. The varied situations that all 100 of us are gathered here this morning. But the reality is, we trust in him like Hagar trusts. Hagar, this is not the end for you and your troubled son. There's a future for Ishmael. I will make him a great nation. See, God can take the mess created by our sin and by our foolish choices, and in his redeeming power, bring great blessing out of it. Here's a situation that at one level never should have been, but yet God brings blessing through it. Out of Ishmael will come a great nation, and on the last day, when all the nations are gathered, when our Lord returns, there'll be many from Ishmael, redeemed by Jesus Christ, gathered in the Lord's presence. So that's the first thing, is God's promise. Second, we notice God's intervention, verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. 
And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And skipping over to verse 19, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God intervenes at their request. Because that's what God does. God intervenes in surprising ways. Abraham had two sons, too, by the way, right? And both lives were online. We're all familiar with Isaac's story. Well-known. Abraham, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, takes him to Mount Moriah. They carry the fire in the wood, but Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? They get to the top of the mountain, and Isaac figure out that he's the burnt offering. His life is on the line, but then God steps in. Genesis 22, 11. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. Abraham looks up, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The story of Isaac is in Genesis 22. But we don't pay attention to this one. And we should. Because right before it, we see in 17 and 19, the angel of the Lord calls to Hagar from heaven. The Lord opens Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. Ishmael and Isaac are both saved by the intervention of God. One story, God provides a ram. And the other story, God provides living water. Wonderful well of water so that Ishmael may live. This is of huge importance. Because all the monotheistic religions of this world, Judaism, Christians, Islam, come from Abraham. Muslims trace their heritage to Abraham through Ishmael. Jews trace their heritage to Abraham through Isaac. Christians trace their heritage to Abraham through faith in Jesus from Isaac. And both of these stories, Isaac and Ishmael, are pointing to who? Jesus. The story of Isaac points to Christ, the sacrifice who was laid down for our place. He was led to lamb like a slaughter. He was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. The story of Ishmael points to Christ, who is the well of living water, springing up to everlasting life. Whoever drinks of this water, said Jesus, that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus is the provision for all the children of Abraham. To all people who identify themselves as Jews, this story points to Jesus Christ's provision for you. To all who identify themselves as Muslim, this story points you to Jesus Christ. To all who identify themselves as Christian, this story points to Jesus Christ as God's provision to you. In Jesus, God comes into our broken and fractured world. And in Jesus, God takes his sins upon, our sins upon ourself, himself and becomes the sacrifice, paying the price that all may be saved. And in Jesus, he brings new life that begins immediately as we trust in him and will spring up forever. And all this he offers to the compliant children and the strong-willed troubled children. Every single one of us hope in Jesus Christ.
It was said in the 80s there was this old man in Florida who would walk down a boardwalk in Florida every Friday night with a pail of shrimp. He'd walk out to the end of the pier and throw these shrimp up and the seagulls would just gather. And he would stare at these seagulls as all these 50 seagulls would descend and eat all this pail of shrimp every Friday night as a ritual. And people would look at him and go, I wonder what is old Ed's story. Billy Graham told the story of Old Ed because Billy met Old Ed. Old Ed was Eddie Rickenbacker, the World War I pilot, who in World War II was being flown over all the country to the air bases to encourage our airmen. He was the president of Eastern Airlines at that time. And in 1942, talk about bad luck. He's on an old B-17, which crashes in the Pacific. He's, he's like 50 years of age. And he's swimming in a raft with seven other survivors from this B-17, clinging to life. Their rations run out after seven days. And after eight days, they pray to God, Lord, help us. We're not going to make it. And along comes a seagull. Dinner. They kill him, they eat him, they take out his intestines and they use him for bait and they catch fish and survive. The rain comes down and fills the raft and they can drink the rainwater till a ship comes and picks them up. And from that day forward in retirement, every Friday night, Eddie Rickenbacker went out thinking that God sent an angel to them. God intervened, he said. He told Billy Graham, Billy goes, why do you do that, Eddie? He said, because I never forgot the angel that God sent me in the form of the seagulls. And this was just thanking God's creation back for saving my life in Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? God intervenes, friends, if we will cry out to him and trust him. And finally, we notice God's presence. Verse 20, and God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness, became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. See, God was with Ishmael. To this, to this tumultuous teenager, God said, I am for you. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God cuts his brightest gems sometimes from the darkest places. He is the God of the difficult temperament. Okay? Think of Peter. Peter was one of these guys. You know? I will go with you, Lord, to the end. And all of a sudden, there at the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he do? Cuts off the ear. He's a bad aim of the temple guard. Yet he denies Jesus. But yet God uses him mightily on the day of Pentecost, and thousands come to faith in him because of Peter's faithfulness. Paul's the same way. Paul takes up the mantle of Jewish orthodoxy, starts to hunt down Christians for the purity of the faith where God appears to him, changes his life miraculously. He does it for Peter, he does it for Paul, he does it for Ishmael, he does it for you. With all the struggles of the temperaments and all the tensions in his family, he's wild at heart. God lays hold of him, provides for him, and blesses him. To the most troubled, passionate, 
no matter your orientation, I have a message with you today from Jesus Christ. There's a promise and provision for you in Jesus alone. He's your sacrifice. He's the spring of living water for you. He reaches out to you today, and there's help for you in him alone. And also for you compliant types out there. What I'm saying is that when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, it's not only that your sins are forgiven, it's as if you have never sinned. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus. Young people that are here today, you might be struggling, you can't understand everything that's going on around you. Oh, there's hope for you in Jesus Christ. Because it's from Isaac Jesus came. We adults, we're, we're living in a world that we've never seen before. It's a tough week in our country. We're all praying for our country. We're all praying for our city as the convention comes here. My friends, peace, be still. Let us rest in this Jesus alone. And let's shine with the light of Jesus in our neighborhood. Let us be the third great awakening. Let us be used in this way. Just because we believe it. God can use us in this way. To our older friends, don't lose hope. Keep praying. We are citizens of the kingdom of God before we're a citizen of America. And God has us in his hands. Keep praying. And with all the happenings in our news, this is the fix for not only our country, but it's for us at Christ Church. That we can trust his promises. We can pray for his intervention, and he will in our lives. He can intervene in our country as well because he's with us in Jesus. You see, God's grace through faith is like water from the sprinkler on the brown grass of our lives. He's the, the leaf blower in the fall that blows the leaves off, revealing the lush grass. He's that snow blower in the wintertime that carves the path we don't know the way forward. Yes, we do. Let's follow our Lord together in his grace, trusting his promises and his intervention and his presence. Let's pray. Lord, for any of those of us who walk through wondering and fretting about our, our future, we, we can fret no more. Because we can rest in you, Lord Jesus. Because like Ishmael, who, who wonders where the provision will come from, sitting under a bush. We can trust in your promises because your church will always remain until you return again. And we thank you for that promise, Lord. And we pray for your intervention in each and every one of our lives, oh Lord, not only for your provision, but for your blessing and, and your provision above that, Lord. That you would be with us and shine your light through us in a new and refreshing way, O oh Lord, because you are the living water, O oh Lord. We pray that this living water would well up in us into eternal life and in our present lives, Lord, overflowing with great joy as we celebrate your love for us on the cross, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.